Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. We see in the scripture this phrase, decently and in order. Now, the word decent means much more than just acceptable. It means that which is appropriate based upon the instructions of God and the very character of God. And when we strive for that, there's going to be an outcome, an order. Something's going to be manifest, manifested, which brings about the purposes of God. And it's when that purpose that God has for a given situation, for your life at that time, is fulfilled. Then righteousness is seen, God's glory is also released, and good things take place. See, we need to acknowledge that God's ways is the only way that we're going to experience that which is truly good and, as we said in our call to worship, that which truly satisfies. And that satisfaction overcomes all the attacks, all the successes of the enemy in our life. We need to confess that times because we sin, we fail God, that those are victories for the enemies. But through repentance, through the miraculous working of God, through the Holy Spirit in our life, we can see those things being redeemed, meaning being changed, meaning being transformed into that which can bring about godly satisfaction. Our God is good. Take out your Bible and look with me to 1 Timothy and chapter 5, the book of 1 Timothy and chapter 5. Now here in this pastoral epistle, we see that Paul is instructing Timothy as a leader, a young leader over a congregation or a few, how to put things in the proper order, how things are done decently, that is, in an appropriate way that accomplishes God's purposes and manifests his glory. Now, we're going to see that in this lesson and to a large extent next week, we're going to see that, that, that Paul is speaking about widows. But let's begin Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. He first addresses, it says here, to an elder. Now, this can mean one of just old age or one that has a position of leadership within a congregation, one that is looked upon, respected, and his view, his leadership is respected. 
But that doesn't mean that just because one is an elder that they're always right. And therefore, Paul says to Timothy, to an elder, do not rebuke. And this word for rebuking has a degree of harshness to it, a degree of, of public scorn, perhaps. So he says, to such a one, to an elder, do not rebuke, but instead of rebuking, it says, but exhort or encourage, encourage as a father. Now, the term father here is because we know that according to the Torah, we're supposed to honor. That word means give glory to parents, both to your mother and to your father. And therefore, that elder do not behave in a way that is dishonorably, one that is, is disrespectful, but encourage this one as one would his father. And younger ones, meaning not an elder, but those who are males who are younger, if they are, are acting in a disorderly way, not according to truth, once again, encourage them as how? As brothers, as you would to someone who you truly loved as your own brother. And then in verse 2, there's a switch from the masculine to the feminine. And here we have that same word for an elder, but it's a female elder. And this is probably referring to either the wife of an elder or simply an older woman. And it says, likewise, and the implication is as well, encourage them, don't rebuke. But it says, encourage them as a mother. But younger women, just like we saw earlier, younger men, younger women, likewise, as sisters, but there's something different. When we come to these young women, yes, we encourage, we want to set things in order, but something is being emphasized. Something is being, being placed in, in prominence. And what is that? Well, not just encourage her like you would your sister, but it says, in all purity. Now, this is probably a reference, if we would look at this from perhaps the, the position of the Jewish community, instead of the word purity, perhaps the Hebrew word would be snua, which is having to do with modesty, having to do with, with a, a properness in regard to how a young woman, or all women for that matter, present themselves. And it's simply emphasizing to encourage them to be modest women. And as we saw earlier on, this can largely revolve around dress, attire, how others see them. Are they exemplifying modesty? And as the word says here, purity. Very important. Now we're going to switch to the heart of this passage, and that is widows. Now, we know biblically the Scripture gives instructions concerning widows. Widows held an important part within the, the, the congregation of Israel, 
that they were instructed, commanded, to take care of these older women who were, were widows. Their husbands had, had died. There was offerings taken up for them. They held a role at the temple being once in the Old Testament time that were praying diligently at the temple. We see that, for example, in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, with a woman named, named uh, Anna, that she was there and was praying consistently. Remember that because it's going to be something that is going to be, to be presented later on in this scripture. So look again at verse 3, where it says, Widows, honor. And then it says, the ones who are truly, actually widows. So just because a woman has lost her husband doesn't mean that she meets this category within the context that we're talking about of a widow. A widow that has a role. A widow which the local congregation, just like we saw this among the children of Israel, they take a personal responsibility too. And let me say that in my opinion, we're all guilty of this. We're not doing a good job with this. This is something that Paul emphasized to Timothy. And therefore, it should be received and also have the same significance that, that Paul gave it within this passage of Scripture. So look again. It says here, back to verse 3, widows, honor the ones who are truly widows. But if, now look at verse 4, but if having children or grandchildren, he says that, that they learn first to be godly, in one's own household, which means this. If this woman who is a widow, if she has children or grandchildren, they need to be taught, they have to learn first as a priority. If they want to be godly individuals, that in their own household, here it's a reference, obviously, to a family that, that this godliness, this piety, should begin with, that widow in their own home. So before they become a burden, a financial obligation for a local congregation, first and foremost, the family, the children, that next generation or that second generation needs to look out for their mother or grandmother. This is proper. This goes back to what we see in the Torah, that you honor those, those who gave you life, your parents, and you honor those who are older that are elders. So it says here, but if a certain widow, children or grandchildren, she has, let them learn first, it's a word of priority, that their own household to be godly, to be pious. And, and the next word is a recompense, a payment in return. So let a payment 
be, be made in this payment, this giving of that next generation or the second generation to their mother or grandmother, it says this is acceptable. This is acceptable and, and good. It is good and acceptable before God. So let these ones give a payment as in a response to what? Well, it's very significant that this word is a recompense, meaning this. It's not a purchase, it's a payment back to. In the same way that our parents and our grandparents impacted our life. We should acknowledge that and want to acknowledge that by taking care of them, being willing to, to give of our resources for them before the local congregation does so. So it says, for this is good, meaning the will of God, and acceptable before God, verse 5. But the one who is truly a widow, and notice something else. It says, and being alone. This implies the opposite of just what we learned. This woman doesn't have children who are either present or who are alive or who are able. So in regard to her sustenance, she is truly alone. But she is demonstrated. And what has she demonstrated? She has a testimony that she has hoped in the Lord. Now, this is a word in this context. It's a word of dependence. And what's significant is that this word is in the perfect tense. The perfect tense in Greek, not to be confused with the perfect tense in Hebrew, two different things. But the perfect tense in Greek implies that she has hoped and she has demonstrated that hope in the past. That hope is still alive and being demonstrated today that her faith, her trust is in God. And there is a strong view that she's going to continue in this hope into the future. Meaning her faith in God is not a whim. It's not something that's just temporary because of, of her problem. But she has a consistent reputation that she trusts in God. And her life consistently reflects that trust. This is what we're talking about so that her hope is upon the Lord. And she continues, here again, this hope in the Lord manifests itself as being faithful to the call of a widow, which is, and we're going to see what truly a widow in the biblical sense, not just in a, a simple sense. A simple sense, a woman was married, her husband dies, she's a widow. We're not just talking about that. That woman may not be qualified for the term in the scriptural sense of one who is truly a widow, meaning truly is, is, is expected to be supported and cared for by the local congregation. She needs to be one who consistently continues in, in supplications, and in prayers, notice this, night and day. Now, this is what we saw about the woman in the book of Luke. 
who made that, that prophecy, that prophetic statement concerning Messiah and also we see, see the work of Messiah. So all of this is very significant. Widows are not just, just women that we pity, but they have an important role, a valuable role, because nothing is, is more important than prayer. Prayer brings about great change. And therefore, if she is committed consistently to making supplications and prayers both night and day, that is another term of consistency, she is one who is truly a widow. Now look at verse, verse 6. But, and this is in contrast, this is how you can, can discern whether this woman who's lost her husband is indeed a candidate to be brought into this category with support as a widow. It says, but if, if she... And there's a word that's coming up, which we would translate in English in regard to self-indulgence. One who is looking and seeking the finer things of life. She's not looking for a quiet and simple life. She is just not looking for sustenance, that daily provision in order that she can live sacrificially for God in making prayers and supplications for others. If she is more concerned about living in luxury and indulging herself, simply the focus of her life is on herself. It says if this is the case, then, then her life, her living, and this would be basically speaking about her way of living is what is dead. So she is not exemplifying life in the faith, but her life speaks of that which is dead. Now, here's something we need to understand. When we speak about kingdom, what should come into our mind is a life. The kingdom produces a quality, a character of a specific type of life. But when we are focused on the world, the outcome of the world is death. Kingdom, life, this world, death. And therefore, it's simply saying is if her emphasis is upon herself and life in this world, then, then she is really one who is, is ministering death and not life. This is what her, her existence stands for. Therefore, she shouldn't be brought into this, this group of widows. Now look at verse 7. Paul says, these things, what I've shared with you, and furthermore, what I'm going to share with you, these things command in order that they be above reproach. Now, above reproach, who's the they? Well, the widow, perhaps, or we could be talking about the congregation in a collective sense, that if a congregation knows how to deal with these widows properly, which ones to enroll, which ones not to enroll, then they are going to have a godly testimony. 
They are going to be a congregation above reproach. Look now to verse 8. But if a certain one, and now it's talking about the members of the congregation, those perhaps who do have a mother or grandmother who uh, uh, are a widow. It says here, but if a certain one, the own household, he does not provide for, and then there's a word, especially. So if, especially if one's own household, his family, he does not provide for, it says, this one denies the faith. And you know what's important? Is that this denying of the faith is also in that, that Greek tense, the perfect, which speaks about he's done this, he's doing it, and there's not going to be a change in his life. Now, this gives us an important principle. And that is when one, and again, remember the 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 misgaret, the framework, the platform that that Paul began with with the word that he gave us for decently and appropriate what he speaks about as not rebuking but but encouraging so if there's one and he's not doing the right thing if you confront him in love to encourage him to do the right thing one might repent one might be confronted and say you know you're right i need to make a change in my life i'm not behaving as god would have me and therefore you've won your brother meaning you've had victory with your brother with your brother in this situation now brother a fellow believer but if one is consistently rejecting this he has the means, but he's not going to give anything to his mom, to his grandmother. He's not interested in that. What does it say here? That such a one of this, he is denying, and literally he has, he is, and he will continue to deny the faith, and he is worse than, notice what it says here, an unbeliever. Why? Because there's many unbelievers that realize this just this basic truth of taking care of parents and grandparents, understanding this family relationship, that they have invested their life in you, bringing you forth, raising you, providing for you. So it's simple, it's natural. And if someone does not submit to these truths, as he says here, they are worse than a non-believer. Verse 9. Now it says here, a widow, you enroll, meaning you bring into this category for support, this group of widows. It says here, if, says a widow that has not reached 60 years, it says, basically, only bring the ones who have reached that age. They need to be 60 years. And only, it says here, and this is a very important verse, a widow who 
has been. And it's again in the perfect. It's speaking about something that is consistent, something that is ongoing. That this woman has a testimony in the past. People acknowledge it now and they're confident that it's going to continue on. And what is that? Her being a a one-man wife. Now, we remember something. In order for a man to be a deacon, an elder, an overseer, meaning a pastor in a congregation, he needed to be a one-woman man, meaning this, only married to one person. Not multiple, not talking about married to one woman at a time, but one woman in his life. Now, here it's saying this same thing in order for her to be enrolled, to be brought into this group. She needs to be at least 60 years of age and having this testimony of a one woman, uh, uh, one, one man woman, meaning that she's only been married one time. And also, look now to, to verse 10, that if in good works she had a testimony. Now, notice This woman is being scrutinized, not in in a negative way, but her life is being evaluated if she has a testimony that she has demonstrated her faith, done so in every aspect of her life. So first and foremost, that, that she is committed to the kingdom, not the things of this world, that she is at least 60 years old, and that she has only been married once, and in good deeds she engages, and there's a testimony of that, and that she has raised her children, that she has done that properly, she has entertained strangers, shown hospitality, and it says, and if the feet of the saints she has washed, meaning this, that she has a a humble testimony, that those of the faith that she has welcomed into their home and acknowledged the basic hospitality, that she has washed their feet just as Messiah washed the feet of the disciples, showing humility, a willingness to serve, and that pride is not at the heart of, of her existence. Verse, verse 10, second part, and if those who are, are afflicted once, those who are suffering, if she has helped, meaning this, looking back at her life, when there was someone who was in need, someone who was hurting, someone who had a problem, she, according to her ability, that she would get involved, that she had a testimony of being a woman who engaged in ministry, good works, hospitality, demonstrating humility, a willing to show herself, not in a desire to indulge in the things of this world, but eager to to walk in the commandments of God. So it says, in this case, she should be brought in, and then finally, look at the end of, of verse 10, if every good work, she 
followed, and the implication is she followed after. Once more, a testimony that this woman wanted to serve God, that she was committed in a way that the community had to acknowledge. So it's just not a physical condition. She was married and her husband's now dead. We, we help. No, it's talking about bringing her into a situation where the congregation consistently looks out for her physical well-being, that she has a place to stay, that she has clothes, that she has food, that she has sustenance, in order that she can do the new ministry that she's been given to be brought in as truly a widow that is going to engage in, in prayers and supplication and being a, a instrument of, of ministry within that community. This is what Paul is instructing Timothy. And to the degree that, that Paul spends so much time on this in regard to this pastoral epistle, it shows an emphasis. And again, I simply ask congregations, are we doing this? Are we acknowledging this scriptural truth by, by engaging women who are widows, who are older, and saying you need to be women who determine to do something, and that is to determine to make prayer the foundation of your life, the foundation of a ministry, to do so, to be the ones interceding within a local congregation, and to do so as a body of widows, a group of widows, called and set apart for that purpose. This shows the importance of prayer and an individual who is, is called into that, a widow, is in a very significant position, one of honor. Finally, it says, look at verse 11, but younger widows, we know, to be in this category, they have to have reached the age of 60. But younger widows, he says, forbid. Why? For whenever they grow wanted, meaning this, because they're younger, they are maybe very now committed in this time of need as a believer. But he says, there's a tendency for younger women that, that they make a commitment. Yes, I want to serve Messiah in this unique way, but when, when they grow wanton, meaning when they begin to move away from that, what happens? It says, to marry they desire. So younger women, there's a tendency for them to kind of move away from such a lifestyle, such a commitment to prayer. And when they begin to move away from that, what happens? They want to get married again. And in doing so, and this is what he's saying, we'll look now to our last verse, verse 12. Here he's saying this. When someone makes a public commitment, I am going to be used by God for this purpose. I am committed to that. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. 
and then later on they move away from that. This is something that is is a statement of of contempt. It brings contempt upon that woman and the local congregation. And therefore it says, look at verse 12. It says, to have krima. What's krima? Judgment. And this word krima can also mean a condemnation. She, if she does that and moves away, she has condemnation because the priority of her faith, that same word, the first, the priority of her faith, she has done what? She has set aside. She has not continued in this call. That she acknowledged, but when her circumstances may have changed, she found someone to marry. She found a different opportunity. She set this, this priority that she testified was the priority of her life. She set that aside to move into something that was different than this call to prayer, to be a woman of prayer for that local congregation and beyond that, that local community. So let me conclude by saying this. There is a great need for the congregation to acknowledge widows, acknowledge their need, acknowledge that special role, and to make part of their budgets for supporting widows who are truly widows and, of course, who have that financial need. There may be a woman who meets all the category, all the credentials and such for being a widow. And she may be brought into this group, praise God for that, but she may not have the financial need. She may be financially sound, well off. She can still be a widow, but she's not going to be part of that, that allowance that the congregation gives to the widows who are alone, who have no financial means, who are dependent. So let's make a commitment that in our local congregations that we begin to think on how to implement such a biblical message that Paul gave to Timothy about the importance of these widows. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel.